All right, all right, all right. You're listening to the We're Talking Football podcast. I normally this would be where I would say to my left is my right hand man Lou, but Lou, a little bit of a different format this evening. We are not necessarily in the studio. You and I are working from home, which is the term from 2020 and 2021. But uh, a night of first for us. I'm super excited about it to get into some in-season type coverage from We're Talking Football. Uh, give me your thoughts on what it feels like to be home, not necessarily have a, a music intro, and us not secretly holding hands under the table in Ming Studio. Uh, I feel I feel naked, man. Uh, but you know what? It could be one of those good types of naked. You know, when no one's around the house and what have you, you have the house to yourself. You're just free. So I feel free. All right. I, I love it. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking this is empowering us to, to take this to the, the next level. I'm super thrilled, super excited. As always, appreciate you taking this, this journey with me. But let's dive right in, right? We're, we're week two of the NFL season. I think we've built ourselves a, a nice little model of content that we want to consistently cover throughout the regular season. So let's, let's try it, test it, make sure it's true um, for, for, subsequent weeks. First thing I want to dive into here this evening is a little segment. I'm going to give you the the praise here for coining the phrase around it, but a little bit about our hometown takes. No secret here. I'm a 49ers fan. You're a Chargers fan. Uh, let's talk about their games uh, this past Sunday. I'll let you lead in. You guys had the, the boys. How'd it go? Give me the good, the bad, the ugly. All right. Well, uh, it was a very entertaining game, albeit though it was very sloppy, I would say. Uh, there's a lot to like with when you're observing the Chargers and how they played this past Sunday. And there's also a lot to hate, too. So real quick to go into a couple of the things I uh, thoroughly enjoy on the good. So the good. This coaching staff has balls. They went from a fourth and one on their own 34-yard line in the third quarter, something that they would have never done in the previous two regimes. So I thought that was – very encouraging to see finally we have a coach as two pairs of balls underneath his deck. Uh, secondly, uh, you didn't hear anything about Slater, and I mean that in a good way. All right. So when you don't hear about your offensive linemen, that means they're doing their job. Specifically uh, your left tackle. That means yeah, so, they went according yeah. to plan. Exactly. Exactly. And our other uh, early uh, draft pick, Asante Samuel, he is who we thought he was. He's a ball hawk. He balled out. He shut down Amari Cooper. Yeah, he left up 66 yards, but he's in Amari's hip pocket the whole day long. Uh, a couple other things. Uh, the coaching staff, I think fi we finally have a coaching staff that unlocked the potential of Mike Williams. No longer is Mike Williams, I feel like, being relegated to those nine routes or those go routes. Uh, they found a way to pretty much scheme him open, uh, work him over the field, almost like a big tight end, a uh, smaller tight end. Uh, uh, maybe taking over like some of the intermediate passing games. They also are not as predictable as they were in the passing first down. Uh, if you follow the charges the last couple of years, they would always, first down was always a run, always a run here. They're pretty damn balanced when it comes to throwing or, or running on first down. Um, speaking of throwing, oof, do you see some of those, some of those balls Herbert threw? Those were big boy uh, passes, man. Uh, they were phenomenal. Uh, he, 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 I thought he played really good, and he's played it really amazing on third down in particular. Yes, yeah, you had those uh, those turnovers. The first one was a great play by uh, Diggs on the Cowboys. But that was uh, a great defensive play, like a great yeah, no, nothing, nothing to him. The second one, I saw the film. Allen slipped and fell, but still think that was an overzealous type of throw. Maybe him just trusting his arm too much. So he's got to clean up those red zone, uh, those red zone turnovers. Uh, then if you want to go to the bad, the D line, like I've been saying all along is thin and devout of talent. Uh, I said, they built up this defense, like, a, like, a, like a Madden game. So basically yeah. they took, they turned all fatigue off. They turned the fatigue off the injuries off. Like these are going to be our starters. And unfortunately they're already, already hampered with some injuries and what have you. So they were short on the defensive line uh, front there and he showed they couldn't stop the run penalties. I'm not sure if I'm concerned yet. You have to understand this entire team is learning a new system. Yeah. And they, and they didn't play, they didn't play together in the offseason. They rested all their starters and what have you. So it could just be growing pains learning the new system. So I'm not going to freak out there, but it still was pre uh, pretty ugly. 
The only time I the- worry about penalties, Lou, to be honest with you, is like the mental mistakes, right? Like the offsides, the false starts, the late hit out of bounds, the tauntings, right? All the stuff that's like coachable and controllable and that's like stupid. I feel like other penalties like PI, defensive holding, offense, like those are just aggressive penalties trying to play the game, trying to adapt. And I don't, I don't fault those because you'll get away with just as many as you've been, you're called for is what it boils down to. I think they had one of every penalty you just named. So who knows? <laughs> um, I was disappointed in the defense. Where was the pass rush? Bosa was MIA. I'm not talking yeah. where the heat play at either. Uh, their tackle was off lane, was awful. Uh, their red zone offense is starting to become worrisome. Yeah, they're a top five team from a yardage standpoint in the NFL when it comes to offense, but they're in the bottom half when it comes to red zone efficiency. So pretty, pretty uh, disappointing there. They need to fix that. It's not that they don't have playmakers that can get into the, uh, the, uh, the end zone. The kicking game, it's going to put me in an early grave. I'm telling you right now. On my tombstone, we'll say Lou dropped dead because so-and-so kicker missed another field goal. And last but not least, I think it was foolish for them to uh, their right tackle to stay healthy. Uh, and they just they're trotting out two people out there on the right on the right hand side that really should not be starters. So you and I were clearly watching the same game, right? Which makes me feel a little bit better about my evaluation uh, of your team. I have a few pointers or a few points, if you don't mind, if I, I chime in um, about the floor that. is yours, my friend. Well, I'll begin with my man, Justin Herbert, and I have right here bold, italicized, underlined, exclamation point, stud, stud. Lou, I've been telling you since jump, I get it. If somebody was praising my quarterback that way, I wouldn't want to hear it otherwise because it'd just be like, hey, we don't deserve nice things. We'll somehow mess this up. The kid is just so talented. His arm talent is ridiculous. His ball placement is absurd. You mentioned the digs pick. That's a great defensive play, right? Like that is just a, a good defensive play. What is even more impressive to me when I watch Herbert is his, when he's flushed out of the pocket and on the move, his ball is more accurate. It has more zip on it. It's just like, it defies logic when it comes to playing the quarterback position in terms of setting your feet, planning and throwing um he's just so good right like just so good um i too have asante samuel is as advertised he is opportunistic he's in the right place he's got great ball instincts um just it makes me upset that the 49ers drafted an offensive lineman who's been a healthy scratch for the two first weeks of the season when we had clear deficiency at defensive back and this dude was sitting on the board and, you know, going into the draft, how I felt about him. Right. Um, so kudos. I think he's going to be a great, great player in the NFL. I too highlighted about Mike Williams. Just good to see him back in the mix and involved like quick screen for a touchdown. Like when have you seen Michael, Michael, Williams, Mike Williams get a quick screen that he takes to the house. I mean, granted, but Clemson. <laughs> yeah. Like not in the NFL, you know, I haven't question marks. Do they finally have the QB and the coaching staff to maximize his talent? I talked about in the beginning of the season during free agency that he was a potential cap casualty because they just were paying him too much, not using him enough. Maybe this rectifies that. Dude, he had 10 targets. Yep. Keenan Allen. Keenan Allen. Yeah. So I think that bodes well for Williams because when you start getting into division games and the teams that know Keenan Allen real, real well, they're going to try to take Keenan Allen out of the game. So the more you're getting Mike Williams interested in the game and getting him involved, I mean, that's a secondary threat that you have to take seriously. So some of the bad. Um, I thought the Cowboys ran the ball at will, especially early in this game, and they ran it for 190 yards. And to me, you mentioned I too had where was Bosa. Um, But to me, when a team can run the ball that well, that just negates the pass rush. You just have the defense alignment guessing, right? Like you can do everything you want off of play action. The, the Cowboys and Dak Prescott do very well off of play action. One thing I will say that is actually, and this will be my last point, and it's not Chargers related, my second to last point, not Chargers related. Pollard 
could potentially be better than Zeke right now. No, 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 no. Wrong. He is better. Okay. He's All way- right. So again, we're watching the same game here. He was better last year too. He gave him so much juice coming off the bench. Pollard is the new, and I think this is his second to last year of his contract. Yeah. I guess it's going to speak after this year. He's going to get cut. And uh, yeah. Pollard, we'll get the with we'll get the deal. I felt like they were just using Zeke towards the like a red zone type of guy, like Pollard between the twenties because he could provide that dynamic, uh, you know, that, that dynamic uh, feature, you know, between the twenties. Where Zeke, he, he just looks so looks kind of slow. Whoa. I do think in this game, Zeke played more like 2019 Zeke versus 2020 Zeke. I just think it is evident how much more explosive Pollard is at this point in his career and how much more you can do with him. Now, we'll see what happens if he becomes an every down back. That changes a lot of things, right? He's also got nothing to lose. He can just go in and ball out. Um, I did, that was just something that stood out to me when I was watching the tape. The other thing that I'll say here, dude, is I'm really excited to watch the rest of this season for your L.A. Chargers. I think they're talented in the right places. I think when all things click for them, they're going to be really hard to beat. And I'm going to talk in a little while about how I feel like their competition in the West is not as stiff as it used to be. I think they got a chance. I think they legitimately have an outside chance at seeing at sniffing the playoffs this year. And if that's the case, even if they're that close, that's progress from anything that you've been cheering for since Philip Rivers, Ladanian Tomlinson. I still don't think they have a chance. I think it's still a year too early. Um, they're still too thin in too many places, the secondary, the defensive line. Uh, right. Yeah. I just don't see it really happening to be honest with you. And if you look at their schedule, they have a brutal schedule coming up. Chiefs, Raiders, yep. uh, uh, Ravens, Brown, like it, the, the Patriots, the Browns. Like they have a next like six games that will could possibly already knock them out of playoff contention. But we'll see. Yeah, I mean, good thing they're playing 17 games this year, right? I, I think it's a long schedule and you never know what's going to happen. But I'm just excited to watch them because I just like, they got talent at the right spots. You know, I'm a Keenan Allen fan. You know, I'm a Justin Herbert fan. You know, um, I'm loving to see Mike Williams progression here. I love the little jitterbug in Austin Eckler. Um, you know, I, I, I just, I just, you know what I think they really need is they need to bolster the D line next year. If they can find they some need, young talent. They need nasties. And they need another running back. They just need another running back, right? Because Eckler's, I don't think Eckler's built to play 10 years in this league unless it's in a Darren Sproles type role. You know what I mean? I just don't think he is. So I think if they can preserve his skill set by having somebody they can offset with, I think that puts them immediately they, into contention. They have a, a round tree out of Missouri. He's a rookie. Uh, he is flashed. Uh, I'm interested in him because he's got to get him work now. There's no time like the present, man. You know yeah. what I mean? Like you talked about a tough schedule coming up get this dude reps against the right teams that he's going to see time and time again. You have to understand too, their offensive scheme is more like New Orleans where like they're going to encompass short passes as part of the running game. Mm -hmm. So they might not feel like they need to get like 30 touches for running backs. Uh, So that they have a different philosophy and it could be. So we'll see. We'll see. Talk to me about your Niners. All right, let's talk about them. So we, we had the Ickles. Um, I'm going to start with the bad because it was real bad and some of the bad. Um, The 49ers did not convert a first down on their first three possessions, which was the entire first quarter. So they ran nine total plays for 23 yards. What was even more perplexing in that instance is Jimmy missed two routine intermediate depth level type throws that you just have to make as a starting quarterback in this league. One was to Ayuk. Another one was to Sanu. Ayuk was on like second down. Sanu was on third down. Second play of the game, um, just a poor throw on a screen to use check on our third possession. Another poor throw. I'll blame Debo on this. He definitely was already looking upfield, but not a great throw on a screen to Debo where we had green, just no momentum early and the Eagles were gifting it, right? Like they were just gifting these opportunities to us. Another bad thing that I'm, I don't understand what is happening here. um, And I don't listen to the 49er pundits because I'm not buying into this, but this seems to be a theme with Kyle Shanahan, but Ayuk, 
I don't know if you saw like all week leading in, like, is he in the doghouse? Is he not in the doghouse? He had the same amount of snaps as Trent Sherfield, who did ball in the preseason, right? And I think he is a good player and worthy of those opportunities. So Ayuk did get more snaps than Trent this week, but he wasn't highly targeted. And when he was, they were just bad throws. So I don't know if he wasn't targeted just because the game plan got scrapped because that those first 15 and 20 scripted plays just didn't amount to anything. And you had to be very reactionary in the game. But to me, this is a big deal, right? Like it was on paper, having someone like Brandon Ayuk who flashed as a rookie Debo who flashed as a rookie um, injuries played him last year and George Kittle having those three receiving weapons. It's hard to take away three. So you got to keep all three relevant because you can take away two depending upon the defense. But if that third doesn't matter, like where's the impact coming from, right? So to me, this is like worrisome down the line, and I hope this gets rectified. I interject too. And it's not like you guys were able to establish the run. So it's not like you were like leaning so heavily on the run because of what was going on with your your, your running backs, right? So if you weren't establishing the run and you needed to throw the ball, why wasn't you part of that – of that plan i think that is concerning not sure i'm not sure what Ayuk did to shanahan or his dog or his family or what have you Dude, uh, i don't we know had how we both felt like Ayuk was better than samuel the, oh, oh, this offseason i didn't i had no doubt about that i think debo is much more special with the ball in his hands but in terms of being a route runner and like the the natural ability at the wide receiver position i already thought Ayuk was light years ahead of debo right like so I'm, I'm very perplexed here. But you do bring up a good point, right? The running game struggled against the Eagles. And when the running game struggles, our passing game struggles. Because a lot of the run that we do with the limitations for our quarterback is predicated – a lot of the passing that we do with our quarterback is predicated on being able to run the ball well and running similar pass plays out of similar sets that we've been running the ball all game, right? Like it's – it's, it's, it's simple math, right? So when you're not able to do that, it doesn't, it doesn't work out well. Well, I'm going to interject. I'm going to play devil's advocate there. So I understand saying in in that regards. However, your team is known as a running team. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. So defenses, regardless if it's working or not, I personally feel defense stuff to respect that fact and the play action should still be there and the schemes and the, and, and, your, and the, the skill position should still be getting open because in the back of defensive minds, they realize, hey, the Niners are a running team. They're outside, outside zone run, r- rushing team. Yeah. They have to still respect that regardless if it's working all game because they know it just takes one pop from the, that, that Niners potent running game, and, and that's a touchdown right there. So they should be still getting open, though. They should, but the, here's the issue. We found ourselves, and I fault Shanahan for this, We found ourselves in the prototypical run on first down, run on second down, running game struggle, and you're in predictable third and long passing downs where there's no threat of play action. It's straight drop back. Or even if you're running play action, nobody's buying it. Where I think we were wrong, and this this goes either way, right? Like you have to go with the flow of the game. But coming out on first down, you should be running play action on first down every single time if San Francisco 49ers, right? Like literally every single time because the threat of the run is real, even if you're not running the ball well, right? Because it's still a running down. Those are the things that I think we should be doing a little bit better. We did them really well against Detroit, like really well against Detroit. Maybe the Eagles were geared up for it. I don't know. I think the Eagles have a better defense. I think offense is their issue. I think they have a better defense than most people actually think they do, but neither here nor there. Two more things that were perplexing to me. Three. Well, Jimmy in the first half just looked like the quarterback that caused them to move up to number three overall and go (laughs) draft the fucking quarterback. Like that's, there's, there's no way to go through that. What I don't understand is you would, you would not dispute that George Kittle is at least in your top two tight ends in the NFL. Correct. Correct. Okay. Four targets, four catches, for 17 yards when you're not running the ball well to begin with to me that's just not a recipe for success like you play big dogs we got green bay coming in next sunday you go to seattle you're going to arizona you're going to la right now i'll talk about in a minute like this man needs to be involved he's your your 
most potent offensive weapon and runs like a like a bulldozer when he has the ball in his hands. Four targets, unacceptable why he's healthy. And then the final piece is I'm just still confused on the Trey Lance thing. I've been a big advocate of he doesn't need to play right now. But somehow, some way, they're finding him to fit in this mix and, and run a two-quarterback scheme. And, and I get why, right? Because when he's on, now the read option is like something you have to worry about where you're clearly not worried about that with, with Jimmy G. Like it just brings a whole nother dynamic to the game itself. But like to go from using him last week in spots that I didn't understand to not using him this week when the running game could have used a boost in some spots where I think like the threat of him being on the field, I'm just perplexed on this, right? I, I just, I'm almost at the point now where I just want to be like, bro, either pull the plug on Jimmy and get this guy in the game or just keep him on the bench until something happens. Like enough of this, like juggling. And I get it. Like I do trust in Kyle. And I feel like with green Bay this week, they'll be like, well, they didn't, they didn't show Trey Lance in the game at all last week. Maybe I under prepare for him. And then before you know, you get a heavy dose of it and catch you off guard. I do think, the NFL is like cat and mouse like that, but I'm, I'm just, I'm just confused on it. Cause it's not making sense for me. Hey, I mean, it could be they're still trying to figure it out too, to be honest with you. You have to understand off with off season being so limited uh, with the new collective bargaining agreement. Bill Belichick once said like, they're still figuring out their offense and defensive schemes, like all their play, like it's not 70% yeah. of yeah. their playbook that's installed. They don't really install the whole 100% to like the end of September, early October. Sure. So maybe they're still trying to work things out. Well, I'd like us to start figuring it out sooner than later. So let me get to the good real quick. Um, less good than bad, and which is weird when you, you're walking away. You're from doing out, by the way. <laughs> yeah, but I'm going to talk about that a little later too. So despite everything that I just mentioned and complained about, the 49ers still led 7-3 to three at halftime, which is like yeah. mind-boggling to me. What I was really excited about is I thought the defense was super stingy and really embodied that bend but don't break mentality. They gave up some chunk plays. They gave up some yardage. But when it mattered, they hunkered down. Like they gave up a 91-yard reception from the – Philly was on like their own like four-yard line yeah. and gave up a 91-yard reception and still forced Philly to turn it over on downs. Now, I'm not a dummy, Lou. Why they were running the Philadelphia special – on as their fourth down play I don't get it because they had so many other options that like was like they had to go dig deep for that play like if he if, if we looked at the Eagles head coach's play sheet I guarantee you wouldn't even find that play on the play sheet in those scenarios like he went and tried to get cute and he and he cost himself seven points there in my opinion but from the defense so I think a lot of the good was on the defense right um, Verrett gone, right? We have Mosley not playing. So we have no defensive depth um, at the defensive back position. So a rookie corner, Diamorde Lenore looked very yes. good and confident in pass coverage for his first start. Minus that one big play, he still balled out. Even Josh Norman played aggressive and confident. I think he had two bogus PI penalties against him that were irrelevant. But what I like about the Norman signing, even though I'm not like a huge Josh Norman fan, is we don't play a lot of man-to-man, right? So that's not our scheme. So we're not asking him to be 26 years old anymore in lockdown number one. We're asking him to be Richard Sherman. Be smart. Cover your third of the field. See everything happen in front of you. So I think he'll, he's a nice depth piece in that particular instance. Um, to me, Jaquisti Tart and Jimmy Ward balled out. They were all over the field, filled gaps, covered receivers. They did everything. Um, I, I want you to go back and watch this film and watch Jimmy Ward all over the field, and you it will validate why he almost made my top 10 defensive backs in the NFL because of what he did in this game. Two more points here. Three. Fred Warner is still, without a doubt, LB1 in the NFL. Like, he is – so good. He is unquestionably the leader. He's accountable. He's, he doesn't botch assignments and he does, he covers your running backs and your tight end so well. It's like mind boggling to me. Bosa. My Bosa. That was, he showed up in this game, two sacks, forced fumble pressures all over the place. 
Um, loved it. My final point, Jimmy played better in the second half than most people will actually give him credit for. He made one big time throw to Debo Samuel where he fit a window that you would never like if you were watching from behind, you'd be like, why are you throwing this football? Why are you throwing this football? And he fit it, right? Sometimes, you know, luck works out in your favor. But that to me is the enigma of Jimmy G. Like, can't He's make very, the, very inconsistent. It's just frustrating. Can't make the routine throws you expect him to make, but will make a big time play. But I'll say this, Lou. He is now officially 26 and eight as a starter for the San Francisco 49ers. That's a larger sample size than originally when people were talking about what he is as a starter, right? You're talking about more than two seasons worth of a sample size now at this point with that record as a starter. I, I'm Listen, I don't want poo-poo on your plan. I'm not a huge proponent of uh, assigning wins to quarterbacks, to be honest. I'm, I'm not either. But what I'm saying is – that, that run game, that, that defense, that defense. No doubt. Has been- no doubt. But what I'm saying is, is that 26 and eight as a starter over 34 starts, he's impacting the game. He might not, not gonna, be the full reason, not, but he is impacting the game. He's not going to lose them the game, but he it's hard to find. Will he win them a big game? 26 and eight is a little bit more than a game manager. Oh, OK, it, OK. It, I'm just saying he's. Go back. I Go back and forth in regards to this. Yep, yep. Um, Listen, and you do. I want Trey Lance in the game. Like you know, I want Trey Lance in the game. If he's a little more than a game manager, then why? Why did they trade up for Trey Lance? So I just think he's a chip on the shoulder kind of guy, and I like it. If that's keeping him motivated, and he's going to help, dude. He hasn't been sacked so far against. Okay. You know, two games, some pressure on him. Stepped up. By the way, I'm going to send you this clip after this where you watch what Trent Williams just does to this one man on one play, bro. It's just unbelievable. Big man, that dude, he like bitch slapped that. Uh, Bro, he tossed that dude to the ground with one hand. It was so bad. I think it was Milton Williams. Yeah. He looked like a pimp and just Milton Williams is one of his hosts. Oh, dude, it was so bad, bro. But it was so great to watch. All right. So let's get out of uh, our, our, our hometown rant here a little bit. Let's get into – it's like this is like a, a, a piggyback off of some of the things that we did around like free agency, right, when we were reacting as individual, you know, like fans of certain teams, right? So I'm freaking out. It is time for our overreaction segment. I'm not sure how many overreactions you came up with. I'll lead us in with a statement, and then I'll let you give the overreaction. I was so hoping to come into this segment on tonight's show – talking about the demise of the Green Bay Packers and the evil plan that Aaron Rodgers had devised with Devontae Adams to just collapse the franchise and part ways at the end of the season. Obviously, last night proved otherwise. But what are you freaking out about? All right. I hope I don't steal any of your thunder, but if I'm a Miami Dolphins fan, I'm freaking out. And let me tell you why. They have that championship defense. I get it, right? But their offense is going to limit them from being a real contender. Now you got, now we got, you know, you got Tua injured, right? You still have no clarity on the most important position on the field, and that's the quarterback position. It's very concerning. Tua, once again, he's hurt in a short period of time. It stunts his growth, and he's trying to still learn this new offense, too. So this is very concerning. Uh, for a multitude of reasons. The offensive line play looks awful with Miami as well. So they're not doing him any favors. Once again, they have the same issues as last year. The offense looks you know, disjointed and their defense is going to have to pick them up. I just don't think it can do it throughout you know, the whole entire year. So if I'm Miami, the fact that if you don't, you still don't know if two was the real deal. He's hurt. He has another core injury. What was it, like second time in like three or four years now? Uh, the first one was pretty catastrophic. And you just don't know what you have in this guy. And you have to start thinking to yourself, did we blow it? Yeah. And not packaging Priest before the season for Deshaun Watson. Now, you can say many things, but if you like Tua, you hate Tua. But the only people that really know Tua and his capabilities and how how high are uh, – I, they are on him is the Miami Dolphins. 
So they must have, this offseason still felt pretty good. But then you hear the rumblings about them trying to flirt with, for Deshaun Watson. I don't know. Um, I think they kind of blew it. And if I'm Miami, I'm freaking out because once again, we're still looking for Dan Marino's replacement. Yeah. I, I, bad news, Dolphins fans, is I know they're saying like, hey, good news, just bruised ribs, nothing cracked, nothing broken. But I have bruised my ribs before. And that lingered for months to sneeze. I couldn't wipe my own ass without flinching and being in pain. This dude's supposed to suit up and get hit by 300 pound defensive lineman. Like, not you shot a cortisone before you wiped your ass. <laughs> no, but it doesn't matter, dude. I'm telling you, like, this thing's going to linger and it's going to linger all year. And talking about throwing the football and doing those and planting, like it literally affects everything that you do breathing. Like you get a little tired, you, like, you know, where, where'd they say two was the best on little rollouts, right? Like Dinkin and Duncan, like those things that might've came easy to him before are going to be that much more difficult. And I agree. And they're not on my freak out or overreaction list, if oh. you will. Well, Low-hanging fruit for me, Lou, because I've been saying this for how long now about Tua? And, like, like, I honestly want him to be good. Like, I want him to be good. And I want the Dolphins to be good. The NFL is better when the Miami Dolphins are good. Just the reality is, is, like, my eyes just tell me otherwise. And it's a different NFL game. And it's just not going to work out. Like, I, I, I hope I'm wrong, but I don't think I am is what it boils down to. And I don't like to see anybody injured. Like I hate the NFL with injuries. I want my team's best players to go against another team's best players and let the best team win that day. Like I hate injuries and I don't, I don't wish that upon anybody, even the players I hate the most in the NFL. Um, but it's just, it's not going to go well for them is what it comes Thank down you. to. Who so you I'll, got? Give you, I'll give you a freaking out right now. So I have freaking out in both directions and I have a number of scenarios here, but I'll, I'll stick with two, but I'll go with one. I'll let you go. Maybe then I'll go. But despite their record, the 49ers are still currently the worst team in the NFC West. And this is easily to me, the toughest division in football through week two, a combined record of seven and one from, from the division. But I'm again, I'm looking at the eye test. I'm obviously watching the 49ers games every single snap, every single play. And I'm not impressed to date with yes, they're two and O, but the entire world predicted that they should be two and O coming out of these two games. I look at how Kyler Murray as advancing is advancing. And I know how the 49ers struggle with defending mobile QBs. So that's got problems written all over it twice a year. You already know Russell Wilson's track record with us. And they lost an overtime game against a playoff team, you know, that has the ability to run the ball and wear you down late in the game. Like that's going to happen. Um, but then I look at the Rams and gosh, with that addition of Matthew Stafford, they are really, really good on both sides of the football right now. Like you used to, we used to actually own the Rams. Even when we weren't a good football team, we owned the Rams. And it was because, like, Jared Goff just seemed to have those bad days against the 49ers. Those bad days are going to be far and few between with a quarterback like Matthew Stafford. Why I was so adamant about the 49ers going to get him when it was rumored he was available and giving up whatever they wanted, um, I just I – just, I firmly believe, even though we're 2-0 and right now, that we're still the worst team in the division. And, you know, as a 49ers fan, that pains me to say. And I'm sure if any 49er fans are listening to this, they're going to disown me from the fan base. But, Lou, to me, it's the truth. Uh, I think it's way too early to tell. I just feel like Kyler Murray started off out blazing last year and slowed down. Uh, Seattle's defense, yawn. They don't really scare me whatsoever. Why do you think the Titans came back? Um, but you hit the nail on the head. It's the Rams. Uh, the Rams are a scary team because they have a, a quarterback that can make the throws that Goff wasn't able to. And they have an offensive-minded coach that is pretty damn brilliant. And they also can, they've always been effective at running the football. So that really makes you guys have to uh, play multidimensional. Yeah, uh, and then you got the two best pl defensive players in the league, 
on one side of on the ball for the Rams, Ramsey and also Donald. So, yeah, that is uh, that is a concern. Uh, I think you know, but like I said, a lot can happen between now and then. I got uh, one more freak out. Yeah, are you freaking out positively or are you freaking out negatively? No, I'm being uh, I'm being negative this week, okay. man. Uh, so straight I'll stick up. with that then. I'll, I'll make my second one a negative one too. So we are legitimately freaking out as <laughs> as NFL fans. Exactly. So uh, if I'm an Indianapolis Colts fan, I am free. And for a multi, once again, for for numerous reasons, yeah, they're in a win- winnable division, but they have a huge game coming up against the Titans this week. A Carson Wentz, shocker, is hurt. The guy both injured ankles. ankles? How do you injure both? both? <laughs> I don't know. That sounds like something like a cartoon or something. I know. I know. Both ankles. All right. That is straight up ridiculous. So now, either A, you're playing Carson Wentz on crutches, or B, you're trotting out Jacob Easton to try to salvage the season. If they lose this game, the Colts, season is pretty much over, I, I think, for them. And let me tell you why. Because then the Titans become 2-1, and one, Colts are 0-3, so they're two games behind the Titans. All right, whatever. But next, look look at the next, like, five games they each play. The Colts have to play, uh, like, the Ravens. Like, they have a whole brutal schedule. I don't have it. I can't pull it up in front of me right now. And then the Titans, they play the Jets, the Jaguars. Uh, they, they can easily be, like, 6-1, and one, the, uh, the, the Titans. And the Colts can easily be, like, oh. Oh, and six. So that is, would be too big of a lead. They need to somehow, some way, find a way to win this game against the Titans. And the fact that their prize possession, new quarterback, Carson Wentz is already injured. Yeah. does not bode well for them. Yeah. Yeah. They got the Colts got some tough games. So they got the Titans next week. Then they're away at the dolphins away at Baltimore, get a layup potentially, with Houston, then they go to San Francisco, dude. And they're home again for the Titans again. That's a tough stretch. Now, can you pull up the Titans schedule? Yeah, because I'll tell you right now, the Titans. I think they have the Jets, the Jaguar. Do you see why this is so imperative? So they got the Colts, Jets, Jags, Bills, Chiefs, Colts. Okay. So the next three games, though, they could build a a four to five game lead on them, and that's the issue. And here's and then you can still say, oh, it's early in the season. But when you keep on reading in the the newspaper or the no, newspapers, so if you keep on behind as a team and a player, it's hard not to be uh, dissuaded and like we're not going to do this this year. Like no. this is just not our year, and you just pack it. Up. So yeah. if I'm a Colts fan, I'm freaking out if they don't win this week. Okay. I agree. So I got one here that might throw you for a loop a little bit. Lou, I'm going to, because only because you and I have these conversations all night, make sure your phone's charging while we're talking. Um, Don't need you going down for the count. So I'm staying negative. I had one positive one, um, but I'm going to go negative on this instance. And I'm going to say, if I'm a Kansas City Chiefs fan, I'm start. The thought is starting to creep for me that my team will actually not represent the AFC in the Super Bowl this year. Ah, uh, stop it! Just because of one game, they got they got they got cute. It had to be a lucky turnover, man. Two games, bro. Two games. Both games super tight. Uh, again, two formidable teams, right? The Baltimore Ravens, Cleveland Browns, and I know when I say Cleveland Browns is formidable. This is not the Cleveland Browns we grew up watching. This is a this is a different team right now that plays defense and runs the football quite efficiently. To me, there are two issues for the Chiefs right now. One is the defense. Through two weeks, and this is my overreaction, they're looking like a liability. They're not stopping the running game at all. Baltimore hit them for 251. Cleveland hit them for 153. Like they yeah, just best rushing teams in the league but still got to get this right this is still the nfl right there's now a blueprint out on you so whether i'm the best rushing team or the worst rushing team i'm going to try my luck and come out and rush, rush the football against you they've made chris jones obsolete so far right like they've 
both teams have been able to just literally shut him out. Um, And this goes back to like, Hey, if I'm the cheat, like now I need to consistently put up 35 to 40 points a game to ensure that I'm winning. And they're obviously capable of that, but there's a couple other teams in, in this league that are capable in the AFC that are capable of doing that as well, that have some better defenses that might be able to make those two plays a game against your offense. And maybe the magic runs out like, Hey, did you saw the pick that Mahomes threw, right? How many times have we saw him actually make that complete that pass going to his knees, doing it like sometimes the ball just doesn't bounce in your favor. I'm just saying from what I've seen right now, the Kansas city chiefs look beatable. And if I'm the chargers coming into a division game right now, I'm playing with some confidence. If I'm the Buffalo bills, who's looking at them from the outside, I'm going to play with confidence. If I'm Baltimore, I've finally gotten that monkey off my back and I've beat Mahomes. That shit breeds confidence and that carries into important games if they should face each other again. Again, Lou, that's my overreaction portion of this. But one other point, one other point before you jump in, one other point, I'll let you jump in. When the Chiefs drafted, Clyde Edwards Hilaire in the first round that year. What was the, what was the story around him? It was, this is the missing piece. This is the missing element, right? Like that threat of a, the run game to complement Mahomes passing game and a guy who's a dual threat out of the backfield. He'll catch the rock, right? 1800 plus yards from scrimmage his senior year of college. I've seen none of that thus far. He's had two breakout games, period, both last year. This year, 3.3 yards per rush. That doesn't cut it. I know his fumble, like, listen, fumbles happen. When you're running back and you touch the ball that many times, I'm not counting the fumble against him. What I'm saying was what was supposed to be the missing element to keep them at the top is no longer the missing element. So now if I'm playing the Kansas City Chiefs, how worried am I about the run game? The answer is I'm not. I'm going back to what my focal points are. I'm staring Travis Kelsey down. I'm staring Tyreek Hill down. And if Nicole Hardman is going to beat me, then so be it. So I'll tell you this. I'll see it when I believe it. Yeah, I get it. Dude, I get it. No, you didn't get that. The Mahomes saying, remember when he messed up that saying? Yeah, what (laughs) um, on the the golf course, right? They caught him on the golf course with that. You're right. You're right. I think they're the creme de la creme in the AFC. All right, next we're talking about offensive, defensive performances of the week. What do you want to start with, defense or offense? Uh, I'll start with offense. How many, did you really, how many did you really list? I think for time constraints, we should. I have four. For time constraints, we should just kind of give up what we give, the best of the best. Yeah. And so good. I'm going to say – Give me two each. We'll okay. do two each and just stat lines. All right, so – I picked, I think that who had the best offensive performance this week, you're going to think I'm crazy, Derek Carr. Let me tell you why. He's 28 for 37, 382 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions on the road against a, 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 a formidable Steelers defense that shut down Josh Allen last week and a 1 p.m. game. So it's not like he had the best stats. But he had the best performance against the uh, best competition, in my opinion. I know there's other players out there uh, that maybe had like better, um, better stats. But I just think I got to give love what good love do. And he threw some bombs to, to uh, rugs and what have you. Yeah. So Derek Carr was my top offensive performer this year at uh, this week, bro. I so I listed six total for offense. I had him at number three overall. I won't get too far into this, but a colleague of mine is a former collegiate teammate of Derek Carr. And I happened to have a conversation with him this afternoon where we were talking about Derek Carr and how he's been playing so far this year. And honestly, I hate the Raiders. I hate John Gruden being back as a coach. I hate Mike Mayock as being a GM. I wish he was back on the NFL network, just telling me how good college players were. Um, but I'm happy for I'm happy for Derek Carr. I 
there was talk in the offseason where, you know, when people are like, hey, unload Jimmy, would you take Derek Carr? Obviously, because he's a former Bay Area guy like, you know, Oakland and, and San Francisco, et cetera. And I was like, I would take Derek Carr in a heartbeat, even though we joke with the eyeliner and somehow he developed a West Virginia accent over time, like whatever it might be. The kid can play football. Like, what are we doing here? Like, the, he can play football. And I'm not shocked even a little bit that he's playing at this level to start the season. And, oh, look, they happen to be 2-0 and because they're the, the most important position on the football field is playing the best football right now. Um, I, I Again, I, no lies detected here, dude. I had him number three on my list, and we're splitting hairs at this point. What do you got now? So I'm going to give you my number one. And I can't believe I'm saying this, but from a Thursday night football game, which ends up being the worst football games of the year, I'm giving it up for Daniel Jones. I'm giving it up for him. I saw him play the best football game that I've ever seen. Now, you know, I come from a family of New York Giant fans. You know, I'm actually a New York Giant season ticket holder. So I've seen Daniel Jones play a lot of football. Um, This was his best game by far. 22 of 32, 249 yards, a TD, 68.4 from a QBR. 102 rating, but also had nine carries for 95 yards and a touchdown. And he had a very long TD run called back due to a wishy-washy holding call that probably could have just as easily been overlooked. Um, I, I make no bones about it. To me, this was the best game that he's played so far in his NFL career. I know it amounted to a loss that I don't think is necessarily him. I think the stat line looks even better if his receiver catches a ball in the end zone where he was wide open with nobody around him that hit him dead in the hands. And you're talking about a totally different game. So I'm giving my offensive game ball this week. It's, it's going Daniel Jones. You got it, buddy. This is you right here. Offensive game, offensive game ball of the week, brother. In a loss. In a loss. Um, Give me one more. Give me one more quick. Real quick. Derek Henry. Let me tell you why on the road, playing in Seattle, or you know this as a Niners fan, it's tough to play in sure. Seattle. They were down their entire game. Usually when you're down an entire game, a team bails out on the run, not not for Henry. He single-handedly carried them back into that, in that game. He had 35 rushes, 182 yards, and three touchdowns. He also had a couple catches too. He single-handedly, it was like the, he, he brought them back from life. Uh, and you have to understand, he did that where the offensive line was banged up. Taylor Wong couldn't go. Roger Saffold got hurt. Yep. So they're playing with a lot of backup linemen there, and he literally kept, put the team on his back for the victory. Yep. Um, I love it. I, I agree. I, listen, I got him in fantasy, so I'm, I'm straight. Um, he, he helped me out big time. So I really wanted number two for me to be Lamar Jackson. I think statistically what I'm frowning upon a little bit is the two picks. Um, Obviously he went over a hundred yards rushing. And what I loved more than anything was on that fourth down play, which has been widely advertised here. But if you're watching the game, you have the head coach stepping out saying, Lamar, Lamar, do you want to go for this? Do you want to go for this? And Lamar saying, yes. And the coach being like, we're going for it. Love John. What's that? I I love John. I love coaches. I trust their players. Right. And like that, that trust in that player was based on how the way the game was going. Lamar played a hell of a game. I'm sure he'll be on my list multiple times this year. Um, but for right now, my number two performer offensive performer of the week goes to wide receiver Cooper cup from the LA Rams. He was on my list. Let's keep it short and sweet, right? Nine catches, 163 yards, two TDs on 11 targets and average 18.1 per catch this is what having Matthew Stafford as your quarterback does for you is your he's always been available he's always been open now there's a guy who can get him the ball consistently you are going to see stat lines like this from Cooper Cup throughout the entire season and if it's not Cooper Cup it's just going to be Robert Woods it's literally it's just going to be back and forth between which one do you want to take away which one's going to be um, I'm a wide receiver at heart, so there's no way I was keeping a wide receiver off this list. All right, let's get defensive now. Yeah. I think without a doubt, this this is the number one defensive uh, player of the week. Roquan Smith. Uh, let, let me let me let's talk about the stat line. He had eight total tackles, five solo tackles, one sack, one tackle for a loss, one interception, 
one touchdown. Mm-hmm. He hit everything on that stat sheet, man. And he secured the, uh, the victory for the Bears against the Bengals uh, with that uh, pick six. Roquan Smith. I, I, he's going to, he's going to get paid this off season, I think. So uh, he is, I thought he's the best defensive player this week. So I can't argue with you. That's who I had as number one. So I don't, I won't put him out here. So I don't want to be redundant. That's who I literally highlighted as my number one defensive player. You, could, you, you had to be, you had to be. So I'll go with Nick Bosa. Okay. Two sacks, forced fumble. Let's keep it real straightforward. I think he had like three total tackles. The other one was a tackle for a loss, probably a handful of pressures. Um, but what I'd just love to see is, you know, sack in week one, two sacks in week two against a mobile quarterback like Jalen Hurts, who is does not get sacked often because he can buy that time and get outside of the pocket. And I just love the progression and the confidence building coming back from an ACL. A little bit of a homer pick. Um, I totally get that. There's a few other people that I could put up here um, for sure, but at my heart makes me so happy to see him getting back doing Nick Bosa things. Cause it's been 24 months since I've seen that. So uh, I'm going to see your Nick Bosa and raise you a Daniil Hunter. Okay. Daniil Hunter has seven total tackles, five solo tackles, three sacks and three tackles for loss. And you want to talk about tracking down a mobile quarterback? He played Kyler Murray. So, and he was out last year too, Daniel Hunter. Yep. So I see your Bosa and I raise you a Hunter. Okay. I'm, I'm with it. I, Daniel played a hell, of, a hell of a game. I so badly want to make this next pick Mike Edwards. Two picks, two touchdowns. Like, how does that happen in an NFL game from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? I also want to throw out Greg Rousseau, a rookie that we talked about extensively. With two sacks, <laughs> but I'm not. I'm giving you all my honorable mention, guys, because I'm just trying to take credit for it. Bobby Wagner, 20 tackles in a game in a sack. But my number two defensive player of the week, technically my number three. Um, Bosa was two. This is number three, but I didn't want to be redundant with Roquan Smith. Asante Samuel Jr., the oh, rook, the <laughs> rook, bro. Listen, four tackles. He had a pick. You know what was more impressive to me than the pick? Because the pick was an errant throw. He was just in the right place, right time. That's a nice little stat line. Three three passes defensed. To me, what did we talk about when he was coming in, right? When I talked about his stat line and how many passes he defensed in college. He's just picking up where he left off. He's instinctive. He has a knack for the football. He balled out against Amari Cooper, C.D. Lamb. These are top wide receivers in the NFL. Dak Prescott is the quarterback who can make good throws. And number 26 was all over that field. He still shows me that he wants to come up and make the tackle. I loved everything that he did this week and goes back to what we said in the beginning. He is as advertised. And then my side disclaimer is nothing made me more happy this week than not only just seeing Asante Samuel get a pick, but then seeing Patrick Sertan get a pick, seeing J.C. Horn get a pick. The yeah. early rooks were getting on the board statistically this week, and I loved, I loved it. But, yeah, Asante Samuel Jr., I, bro, love his game, love what he did this week, 100%. Yeah, yeah. All right. So, so tell me, week three, what are you watching, bro? What are you keeping an eye out for? I don't care if it's a player a game, a matchup, what are you looking for? Well, I'll save your homer pick, Green Bay versus San Francisco, for yourself because I do have that here. But that is what do I on my list. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did I get involved in a San Francisco podcast here? No. Uh, <laughs> Welcome to the family, bro. <laughs> uh, what I'm really looking forward to this week is Josh Allen versus that Washington defense. And let me tell you why. I think – if you really look at their games with Washington defense and Josh Allen, both have been kind of subpar this year, in my opinion. Allen, you know, was a huge MVP candidate coming into this year. And Washington was supposed to have one of the scariest defenses in the league. Neither really have so far lived up to the hype. So I just want to see who's going to really stand up in this matchup. Is the Washington defense going to ball out 
and stifle Josh Allen with their tremendous pass rush. Don't forget, they added to that defense, too. They didn't just bring people back. They added people in the secondary to try to match the front seven they had. Uh, they added William Jackson. They drafted the kid out of Kentucky. Uh, I think Jamin Davis. Yep. So it's not they just brought people back. Like, oh, it's just, we'll just bring everyone back. They added talent to that defense. And in my opinion, it really hasn't been – as impressive as they've built it up. You have, in my, uh, once again, Chase Young, he's huffing and puffing out there versus the Giants. I feel like he's out of shape. Yep. Uh, anyone knows about anything about being out of shape, it's definitely me. So, uh, <laughs> and I'm interested in Josh Allen. He, he, he played awful against the Steelers. Okay, fine. And I, you're, he didn't look too great against Miami either, in my opinion. Yeah. So, I'm interested to see who's gonna who's gonna win that matchup, that Washington defense or that or Josh Allen. Totally agree. Um, so I'm not gonna get 49ers versus Packers. You know I'm watching that game. Let's just it, it is what it is, right? Yeah. And I and it's a big game. It's a big game. It's not just a yeah. a homer game. It's a big game. So I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna throw two at you. I'll let you if you have another thing that you're watching. If not, I'll throw two. But I'll start with a game. So the game that I am actually most interested in watching is the Chargers versus the Chiefs. Call me crazy, call me whatever. And this is not just because you do this with me, right? And I do this with you. I'm on this Chargers bandwagon right now. And the AFC West to me is carrying playoff contenders. And this is just a big AFC West battle. I want to see if LA can run the football against this chargers defense, because they look like they can be ran against, but more importantly to me, this is going to be a high scoring or has the potential to be a high scoring high pace game. I have essentially staked the little reputation that I have on being a huge believer in Justin Herbert. I think L.A. has the pieces in place to say this this game needs to go to 35 points. We can take it to 35 points. May the first team to get to 35 win. And I think the Chargers are capable of doing that. And I want to see early, if they can, while they have nothing to lose, and I do firmly believe Kansas City is kind of in their feels a little bit, a little bit coming off that loss to, to, to Baltimore. I think that's going to sting a little bit. Will that linger? Um, and you know, division games do division games usually come down to the wire. Um, and I'm, I'm just really, really excited to watch that, that matchup. It's interesting to see how Justin Herbert is going to perform against a really difficult place to play on the road. Kansas city is one of the outside of Seattle. It's probably the second hardest place to play uh, because of that, that, uh, the, that crowd and the noise they make. So it should be interesting how Justin Herbert plays out there. Arrowhead's tough, man. You play well early, you'll take the wind right out of their sails. I, you know what I mean? Like this is – this is you want to go beat Seattle in Seattle, you got to get up early and often and keep people seated, right? That's just the way it goes. Do you have another – anything else you're watching? Uh, yeah. Uh, how can you not want to watch the Bucks versus the Rams? These are uh, – <laughs> This, this is an early preview of a possible NFC championship match. You got Tom Brady and his crew going to L.A. And want to see how they they uh, do against, a, you know, a stingy Rams defense. Uh, I think that should be real interesting because these teams match up real well against each other. So uh, I'd like to see pretty much who's going to bend, who's, who's going to break, and who's going to be victorious? You can't ever bet against Brady, but if anyone can take down the Bucs, it's definitely the Rams. Yeah. So I, I'm just going to echo your sentiment, right? Like this is yeah. priority number one for me, I feel like. Um, outside of the game, I too am more intrigued by how the Rams defensive backs will handle Tampa Bay's wide receiving core and vice versa, how Tampa Bay's defensive backs will handle the wide receivers with the addition of Matthew Stafford from the LA Rams. I do think the, the defensive backfield is strengths for both of these teams, right? I think we, we saw that last year, how well the Tampa, Tampa Bay's defense um, specifically that back four played um, in that Super Bowl run. We all, it's well documented on how good the LA Rams defensive backfield is. So I'm really intrigued there because I think this is like, Rocky Apollo two almost. Right. And I agree with you, depending upon how the chips fall in the regular season goes, 
I do think this is a, a preview of the NFC championship game. Yeah, I agree. All right. So final, final component here this week. Um, no secret. We are fantasy football players ourselves. Uh, Coach. Little, little known fact that we're coach. we don't get in the game. We play each other this weekend, by the way, in our mutual league. Yes, we do. I have so many leagues. I don't even know anymore. I know. I, did. I get it. But I specifically was researching to ensure to see if I can even throw that comment out here this evening. So I like to call this segment fantasy player of the week. I don't want to use the term sleeper because, you know, I, I want this to be a hybrid, Lou. I want this to be like, is there somebody on the waiver wire you're looking for that I should just go outbid you on right now in our league? <laughs> or is there somebody that you know is on somebody's roster that should absolutely be in somebody's starting lineup this week? Who is that player for you? Well, lo and behold, I did know I was playing against you. And <laughs> I looked far into pretty much who can I present that would be really smart play where it, you could do nothing about it. And I found someone. Listen, Wesson, I'm going to give you some fancy advice here. Uh, when, ready? When I don't know doubt, if this is real advice or if this is a, this, a finagle. This is real. When in doubt. I need you to follow number 30 on the Dallas Cowboys defense. Do you know who that is? That's Anthony Brown. Just wherever he's going to be, you pick the wide receiver opposite of him. He was awful against Tampa. He was awful against the Chargers. He got torched by Mike Williams uh, uh, this past week. He got torched by Antonio Brown uh, week one. Both players caught touchdowns on him. Diggs, the other Dallas cornerback, he's going to be on Devontae Smith. They play the Eagles this week. So you're saying so Jalen Rager is your guy. Jalen Rager is the player to watch this year. And guess who has Jalen Rager on his team, by the way? You. This guy. This guy. So you gave me fantasy advice on what to look out for, for in your lineup this week. Um. I get but it. Walking aside, see Dallas is playing next week, and they just pick the number two wide receiver. This is the old strategy of surviving your survivor league was just pick whoever the Detroit Lions were playing against, right? Like that's that was the highest percentage. Um, I I, I get it. I like it. I think Jalen Rager actually had a nice game against San Francisco. He just happened to step out of bounds one time and had a touchdown call back against him because he was the first to touch, so illegal touching. And he did pretty good against Atlanta too. He was a first-round pick, right? I mean, there's expectations around that for sure. Um, Mine, we we mentioned this player earlier, and I think he's definitely on people's rosters. And I don't care if you hold Zeke Elliott and this is your handcuff, or if you don't hold Zeke Elliott, Tony Pollard needs to be in your lineup this week. Just I agree. Needs to be in your lineup. I just think the Dallas Cowboys see the writing on the wall. And at this point, they're in a division that they know is winnable, sitting at one and one, regardless of what they're paying Ezekiel Elliott, it is now time to win football games. And I think he puts them in the best position to win football games i think a worst case scenario he's a flex he's a flex uh, definitely a flex back if you've been watching uh the dallas cowboys offense the first two weeks how they differed than they were last year they're using a lot of multiple back sets and yep. what i mean by that, both zeke and pollard in the lineup yep. either, either they're uh they're flanking Dak prescott or you have um <clears throat> You have uh, Pollard, you know, coming across formation, uh, like doing sweeps and what have you. So they're both out there, and I both think there's enough room uh, for them to both eat. Yeah, I, I, dude, I like in this scenario to the Cleveland Brown scenario, especially last mm-hmm. year and coming into this year, is like even if you're holding Pollard as the handcuff to Zeke, there is ample opportunity to have them both in your lineup, either one of them sitting in your flex. Right. Just like if you have Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, either one of them can be in your lineup. Like they're both good for 15 plus points, uh, you know, a week 
etc. Do you have one other player you're keeping an eye on? No, I'm not. Right, I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna throw one more out there. Okay. Um, and it's a little I bit. Have, what's uh, that? Go ahead. Do have one? I think Patterson. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I just. He's just going to be he's just going to get the touches that warrant it, especially while they're trying to figure out this running game. Right. Like he's still a supreme athlete. He still does so many things. You can put him in spots. You can find mismatches for him. And if he's getting you 10 to 12 touches a game, that's fantasy worthy, especially if you're in a league where it's deep. Right. Like if you're in a 12 to 14 team league. Or if you are already marred by injuries, like, you know what I mean? Like if you happen to have three Baltimore Raven running backs, or you happen to have drafted Raheem Mostert and Trey Sermon as the handcuff, right? Like he's somebody that is definitively, I would say available in 80% of leagues right now to go get. And I think he's better than the primary back too. And and you plug them, you can plug them right in. The one for me, um, is Rondell Moore, uh, specifically this week, given their matchup against the Jaguars. Yes, like, look, sexy name, came off a big week last week. But here's the reality. As teams are trying to figure out ways to take away DeAndre Hopkins, that occupies two of your best defenders on the defensive side of the ball, especially from your secondary. Those looks will inevitably be split between Christian Kirk and Rondell Moore. And this is coming from somebody who has Christian Kirk on multiple fantasy teams. Rondell Moore is going to cert, is going to pass him. So I think this is an immediate play, but I also think this is a long-term strategy that if he's available to go get in your league and you have the luxury of being able to stash somebody on your bench or two, um, you know, for a few weeks, like a, an IR player or somebody like that that you're holding on to, I think somebody definitely uh, worth the while this early in, in, in the season that maybe is not a lot of, on a lot of people's targets uh, or yeah. a lot of people's radars. It brings definitely a, a, a certain dynamic to that team. They really don't have. Uh, he's a burner. Kirk is a burner, but he's a burner. Uh, he can, he's a gadget player. Like yeah. he, he could possibly be. And that offense kind of like a, a Tyreek Hill esque. Ask. I'm not Ask. saying he is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not Tyreek Hill. I, but I get what you're saying. Totally get what you're saying. They utilize him. Yeah. All right. Lou, so that wraps up week two coverage. Um, again, an evening of first from us being able, while we are only separated by less than a mile um, from our residences here. Uh, I, I, I've enjoyed this. I'm really looking forward to being able to get more content out to our listeners in this particular format. Um, more to come in terms of how we're kind of evolving this content for sure. But as always, I appreciate the faith in the, the we're talking football podcast and, and the format that we're coming with. I'm looking forward to getting into, you know, unpacking week three's results in a similar fashion and continuing this throughout the season. But like I've always relied on you, whether we were in studio or not, Please tell the audience how they can follow us, where they can follow us, and, and then we'll get out of here. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at WTFPodNFL. Awesome. Great time as always. Hope everybody has a wonderful evening.